Okay, we're up and live. Good evening, everybody. Uh, welcome to V Brown Bag. It's uh, the specialty this evening is uh, uh, AWS certified SysOps domain 2.0 high availability with uh, Brian Krausen. Uh, Brian, would you uh, would you tell us a little bit about yourself? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, thanks for having me again. It's uh, good to present on on the V Brown bag for I think a second time here. I'm, I was uh, part of the AWS Certified Solutions Architect series. Um, I guess back in the fall sometime. And uh, yeah, definitely excited to be on this one. Um, you know, my focus has been the last you know year or so focused on the AWS um, Cert, and uh, you know I'm focusing on getting the, the fifth one out of out of five here. So I've got four out of five and working towards the last one right now. So um, yeah, definitely excited to be on today. Congratulations, that's great. Thank you. Can you see my screen here? Yeah, it looks great. Okay, awesome. Let me move this, uh, move this out of the way here. Okay, cool. All right, um, I guess we'll get started here. So, um, Okay, there we go. Um, I'm not going to talk a lot about me. Um, background, technical architect, work for Ahead. On Twitter, there's my blog. Um, I've worked with AWS really since 2011. Um, that's not to say I have 50 years experience, so uh, there's kind of a gap in there where I didn't necessarily work on AWS, but um, I do have a lot of experience in AWS and kind of, um, you know, working towards, uh, you know, doing more right now, so. Um, the Louisville VMUG leader, I also lead the AWS user group here in Louisville. I started it, and um, I think we've had, you know, four or five meetings, something like that. So, um, but yeah, as we talked about, certified SysOps administrator, um, high availability, right? So, uh, something that uh, everyone should be keeping in mind, right, as the architects, really anything, right, but especially AWS, you know, the fact that it's, Obviously, it's just very easy to architect um, HA into a solution, um, you know, on AWS. So, uh, following the blueprint here, right, domain 2.0 high availability. So, really, implement scalability and elasticity based on scenarios and uh, ensure level of fault tolerance. So, kind of touch on both of those um, tonight and kind of work our way through. So, uh, start with kind of scalability and elasticity. So. Um, I thought it was important to really define these and, and, and talk about each one um, and then kind of the pros and cons of, of scaling up versus scaling out and then um, and it'll go into elasticity. So um, my uh, <laughs> silly drawings here, um, you look at it, you know, you get users on the left hitting a load balancer. Um, I should I guess I should have put like EOB, but really I'm necessarily talking about AWS specific scaling up applies. To other things versus cloud, but um, so I think a load balancer, right? Load balancing across you know two web servers, just you know simple, simple infrastructure here. So you know as really the users increase, you know you're going to have um, resource contention, uh, you know on the uh, on on your web servers, right? So as as more and more users get added, um, CPU is going to go up, memory is going to go up, right? And it's, they can only scale to so much depending on the resources that are allocated to the server. So 
um, you know, eventually they're going to they're going to you know run out of resources, right? And then you know the the guy on the top right can start having issues, right? So they're going to start throwing errors. You know, the application is going to be working as expected for your users. Um, so scaling up really is just right, making making the servers bigger, and then adding typically adding you know CPU, adding RAM to it, and um, you know kind of off you go there, right? And support more users. Um, so kind of the pros and cons, right, scaling up. And generally, it's very fast, very easy, right, especially if you're thinking about from a VMware perspective, right, you generally have hot add, right, so you don't have to take an outage on the individual um, VM. Um, of course, in AWS, you generally have to shut down the instance, and you can just change the instance size. But, you know, to the second point there, there's generally no modifications to the application. So add more RAM, add... Uh, you know, CPU, whatever, whatever the require, new requirements are going to be, power that sucker back on, and you're off and running. Now, but generally, because you're talking SQL, you're talking, um, you know, Apache or something like that, where you generally go in there and modify the specific memory that those applications can utilize. Um, so they're kind of applicable there. So, and then you know, one of the pros is you can generally scale up with CPU, memory, network, storage um, individually, right? So you don't have to go. Um, and add a bunch of stuff that you don't need to. Uh, some of the you know downsides to scaling up, right? In AWS, like I mentioned, requires shutdown of the instance to change size, so you have to be kind of be prepared for that. Make sure that you either have downtime or you have some kind of HA you can fail over to another instance while you're um, resizing that instance. Um, you know, in like a VMware um, or you know other on-prem. Um, Infrastructure, right? You have the underlying host limitations. So, for instance, you can't scale, well, shouldn't scale, right? A, a VM, you know, more than the host has, right? Your host has 256. You're kind of limited to that, um, you know, from the underlying host there. Uh, from an AWS perspective, right, the desired instance size may not be available. So, if you are scaling from a, you know, a, a T2 micro to a T2 large, right, but you only need more CPU, you're fine on RAM, right? You, you may get the additional RAM that you're going to have to pay for that you don't necessarily need. So, um, you know, having T-shirt sizes in Amazon, you know, may not be perfect, you know, for you um, as you scale up. And then, you know, from I guess everywhere perspective, it's, it's hard to scale back down, right? So, if uh, you know, application owners come to you and say, "Hey, we need more RAM, we need more CPU, etc." Generally, that uh, that size, those resources are going to stick with that VM, right? It's it's tough to go to the application team and say, "Hey, look, you know, two months ago I gave you, you know, 64 gig versus, you know, 16 gig of RAM, right? And I, I need to scale back down. Um, generally, that's going to be a a bit fight <laughs> to get those resources back. So, I've uh, I've been there, done that, um, successfully got resources back, but it's it's not easy. Um, scaling out, right? Totally different, um, where instead of uh, just making the boxes bigger, right, you're adding additional additional instances um, to spread the load across multiple instances, right? So, same example here, um, more users, right? Kind of, you know, memory fills up, um, but instead of making them bigger, what we're going to do is we're going to add a third host here, and then spread the load of the users across the new instances, and then. Um, generally, resource you know utilization on the individual hosts are going to go down, right? 
So as you more add more users, same kind of thing. All these guys go up, go up, and then add more users, uh, add more instances, and then again spread the load. So um, you know, for these you can have uh, in AWS, right? And we're going to talk about a lot of them, but there's certain things that you can trigger on um, to auto scale or to scale out. I guess so. You know, um, if you hit 70%, you know, memory utilization. If you hit X amount of, you know, CPU utilization, that can trigger a workflow to deploy additional instances for you to uh, ensure that you can handle the uh, the uh, required uh, the uh, usage coming in. So, um, scale out for the pros and cons, right? Uh, scale out is really kind of the definition of elasticity, right? So, um, be able to scale up as your uh, requirements um, need and then scale back down as the uh, requirements go back down, right? So only pay for what you use, use uh, pay what you need. <laughs> and that's kind of the second point, right? Pay for what you need, when you need capacity, save when you don't. Um, so, you know, as additional requests come in, scale out web servers, sticking to our same example, um, as requests kind of go down, right? Maybe going towards toward the middle of the night or something like that then start, you know, removing instances and deleting them so you're not paying for the hourly charge. Um, you know, typically you're not bound to an underlying host. You know, the resources on that, the, you know, as they're spread out across a, a larger cluster, right, you can pool those resources and, and generally um, have, more, uh, have more resources allocated to, uh, to your application. And then same thing, um, same concept, right, Inclu increased throughput so you're, you're not restricted to the throughput of the underlying hosts because now you're generally spreading them out across multiple hosts. Brian, can um, I interrupt kind of you for a second? Yeah. Uh, I've got a question from Graham. He's asking, do the Amazon economics make it cheaper to scale out rather than scale up? Um, I think that's a good question. Uh, I guess, I mean, it, it, all, it all depends, right? I mean, I guess it would depend on how how large your your instance sizes are um, and the application, but um, generally when we'll talk about um, elasticity and stuff in a, in a couple uh, couple slides here, but um, you can scale scaling up um, is generally cheaper because you can create a baseline of, of the initial requirements and then use something like reserved instances to get those for super cheap, and then you could use on demand instances. To scale up and down as you need, and only pay you know only pay for what you need, and then you know delete those when when it goes down. So, the end of sense, I would say it's definitely cheaper um, if you you know scale out because you can scale in right much easier. Um, when you start scaling um, scaling up, you know it, it's tougher to uh, you know pull those resources back in when you need because you know users are going to get used to that that performance now, developers can get used to that performance, they're not going to want to give that up. Um, sure. It's just going to be a, a fight, I think, to, uh, <laughs> to yeah. do that. So, so but we kind of touch on that in a couple of slides in, in, when we talk about elasticity. Thanks. Um, you know, some of the bad things, yes, the cons on, on um, scale out, right? Generally, to scale out, um, there's typically significant application changes that are required, right? Um, you heard of, um, you know, decoupling the application, right? So you start re being more reliant on outside services, you know, things like SQS, SES, 
um, start utilizing the additional services within Amazon and not rely, not have those services bound to, to a single application. So uh, you have multiple application servers can, you know, grab messages off an SQS um, queue and perform some kind of work. And as that queue gets larger, as the queue gets larger, um, you can have more instances, you know, spin up and take care of that, that work. And then as it gets smaller, right, spin those back down, you don't have to pay for them. So. Um, and then, you know, generally the infrastructure, the, it, the application becomes a little more complicated when you start um, decoupling, right, because now you, you are relying on outside services and you kind of have to know, um, you know, what talks to what, what, you know, what services are used for, um, for different types of uh, the, or different pieces of the application. So, um, and I kind of put this, you know, how to scale out. This kind of some examples that we talked about, you know, decoupling the application, um, you know, utilizing things like bootstrapping or, you know, configuration management like Puppet Chef. Um, you know, a lot of this is going to be, you know, automation, right? So you're not going to want to scale out manually. It kind of, you know, won't make a lot of sense um, to do that. So you're going to want, you know, bootstrapping to configure the, the instance as it boots or use something like Opsworks or, you know, Puppet, something like that to lay down the configuration after the instance is booted to, um, you know, lay down the application and make it, you know, make your application look like your application server. And then again, like I said, you want to use microservices um, where possible. Um, elasticity, so this is, I, this is a drawing I get from Amazon, just redid it on my, on my surface here, but, um, so this is really like kind of a, the lack of elasticity, right? So this is what we typically do on-prem. So if you look at the blue, the blue line, right, that's, that's our capacity. So kind of on the left here, um, the, the first flat piece, you know, say that could be, we're going to, we're going to determine what our maximum capacity or maximum demand is going to be at any given moment, or we're going to buy at least that, right? Um, you know, say for instance, we run payroll on, you know, the last, last day of the month, and during that time, you know, we need additional resources. We need more RAM, we need more CPU, storage, et cetera, um, on, that, on that one day. But the other 29 days of the month, right, we're generally only running at, you know, 30%, 40%. So, um, so the orange line on the left in the middle there kind of um, represents waste, right? So we're buying some maximum demand that we're going to have, but generally we're not running at 100% demand. So um, those CPUs, that memory, that storage is kind of sitting there spinning or, um, you know, taking up electricity, cooling, all that. It's kind of a waste of money, right? So as we kind of move to the right a little bit, um, you know, as demand starts increasing, you know, what do we do? We go out and buy, you know, additional storage, right? We buy more servers. We buy more network um, switches. We buy, you know, whatever we need. Um, that's kind of the capital expenditure there. And then our our capacity goes up, right? And we can handle more more demand as as the uh, as it continues to increase. But um, at some point, we're still kind of at that flat line there, and demand is going to go up. You know, when we're not when we're not expecting it, right? So if the company runs a Super Bowl ad or Black Friday or something like that, you know, it could take longer to get um, to make the capital expenditure than than you were um, expecting. And then now the demand passes in, passes the capacity, and now you have kind of customer dissatisfaction where your capacity can't keep up with the demand, so you start having application problems. Customers can't 
you know, check out on their website or, or whatever it is. Um, and of course, there's another capital expenditure to kind of get above, you know, the, uh, the you know, bring capacity above the new uh, demand there. So that's kind of the, the lack of elasticity, and that's kind of what we do today, right, and in, in generally on-prem. Um, so what does elasticity look like? Um, it's really being able to, you know, use that scale out like we talked to um, before and be able to increase the capacity as the demand increases. So you kind of see on the left where the arrow is increased traffic. At the same time, the demand increases. We're using things like auto scaling, cloud formation, and um, other types of automation to increase our capacity, um, you know, kind of in front of the increased demand and then make sure that we're staying just above it. Um, and then at the same time, you know, as traffic decreases, so this could be, you know, the middle of the day, right? It's going to be, you know, increased traffic is 9 o'clock, decreased, tra decreased traffic is 5 o'clock. Um, so we're going to spin up servers in the middle of the day to ensure that we have enough capacity to meet demand. And then as 5 o'clock rolls around, people start going home, they get off the Internet, um, traffic decreases, then we start spinning down servers to uh, save on those costs. And this is where I was talking about before from the question. Um, you know, what we typically want to do is create a baseline of what, what your normal traffic would be. And then you can use reserved instances to save money on the base, those baseline servers. And then as, as the traffic increases, um, use on-demand instances to be more elastic, right? Because you don't have, you know, reserved instances generally have a one or three-year contract on them. Where elastic is, you know, pay-as-you-go. So. Um, you know, to save costs, you know, use reserved instances at the bottom for your baseline and then use on-demand um, as traffic spikes. Um, so that was kind of elasticity, scalability there. Um, I'm jumping into fault tolerance here. So I think that the first thing that comes to mind when you talk about fault tolerance in Amazon is the capabilities that you have to use all the data centers um, around the world that, that AWS provides. So, um, you know, they've got four within the U.S. that you can use, one's the GovCloud, um, and then, you know, one in Montreal, I think it is. Um, they've got, you know, others running around the world, and then new ones coming up as well. So, you know, the easiest way is to definitely use multiple um, multiple regions, multiple availability zones, and uh, we'll kind of go into that here. So this is right off uh, AWS's website, right? It's really the, the definition of, um, of uh, what availability zones are and what regions are, right? So kind of went over it in the Solution Architect um, series, but, you know, region is, you know, Northern Virginia, it's Oregon, it's North Carolina, or North Carolina, Northern California, um, and it's Ohio, right? So those are the regions, and then inside each region, there's an availability zone. So it's it's a distinct, you know, facility within that region. Um, you know, kind of distinct data centers, if you will, that are connected with, you know, low latency, high-speed fiber, uh, and they provide redundancy between um, one another. So if you know availability zone one goes down, you know, hopefully, uh, you know, availability zone two is affected or three. So that's kind of the uh, Got a definition there, availability zone. So what I did was, you know, as we're designing applications, um, you know, I kind of recreated over here. So as as you're spinning up services and applications and stuff like that, um, 
the big thing you want to use is kind of your bare minimum is going to be you know multiple availability zones. So kind of use a little automation on here or um, uh, animation. I'm sorry. So you know as you spin up your first server, you know put it in this put it in this AZ one second server third server right. So now um, you have three three instances that are um, hosting your application and they're in three distinct data centers. So as you continue to grow out, same kind of thing, right? So now we have six servers spread across three different availability zones. Um, but what happens if we want to go multiple region, right? You want to do the same thing. You server one in this AZ, server two in this AZ. So now if you think about it, we've got eight servers across um, five different data centers spread across the US, right? And it's I highly doubt the majority of people listening or or um, you know customer has has that many data centers that they have uh, available to them and be able to you know spread their uh, applications across all those data centers. So it's something to think about. Um, <laughs> some words of wisdom here, right? So um, definitely, you know, first thing you want to do is architect applications to use multi-AD. I mean, that's kind of the the number one rule when you're deploying. Um, you know, in Amazon, multi-region is, is harder, but it's definitely doable, right? You can start using uh, services like Route 53 to do um, primary, secondary uh, records. You can do um, a lot of stuff with Route 53 to point to multiple load balancers across um, multiple regions to uh, to get multi-region. So, so it's a little harder because um, typically you have to have your application deployed in multiple regions. Um, a lot of the services don't necessarily support multi-region replication, so you have to figure out a way around that. Um, there are some services that do provide that, and we'll talk about that soon, but um, there's something to think about there, and we'll talk about more um, about the uh, multi-region stuff. So, um, you know, architect with failure in mind, right? Uh, cloud's not magic. It, it runs on hardware, and it's managed by humans, right? So, I mean, hardware fails. Humans make mistakes. Um, definitely not not magic, right? So, I mean, you take the, the S3 failure on uh, the end of February there, as much as I didn't want to really bring that up, it, you know, it's a perfect perfect point of what we're talking about tonight. I mean, you saw S3 went down in single bill, or single region and um, caused a lot of problems. Um, and you saw a lot of the websites and a lot of the services that we use every day that probably aren't using multi-region, um, you know, HA. So, um, yeah. And then, you know, my thought is, you know, if your app fails due to single AV failure, yeah, you know, that's your own fault. It's not Amazon's, right? I mean, again, it runs on hardware. It's managed by humans. Mistakes are going to happen. Things are going to go down. But if you're deploying on Amazon, I mean, it's it's just incredibly easy to spread your application across different AZs and make sure that it's fault tolerant, at least from a single AZ perspective. So I put this on there. I thought it was kind of funny from Office Space, uh, Jennifer Anderson. So her kind of bare minimum right was, was 15 pieces of flare. <laughs> and you know, as you're deploying and designing your architect, right, your bare minimum should always be uh, you know two availability zones. So um, kind of moving on, I mean, the thought process on this was as we talk about AZs and regions, I'm going to touch on kind of the base services um, within AWS, uh, talk about the individual pieces on 
where um, where there's HA, where there's not HA, and um, you know some things I thought were important for the actual test. So, uh, so we're talking about EC2, right? The key thing to think about is as you're deploying an instance, right? You have to select a subnet uh, for the instance to uh, live in. And remember from the SA uh, series that we did, a subnet is a single availability zone, so it's uh, it's tough. You know, to get or you can't have an instance spanning like multiple ACs. Um, so how do we get it? You know, to span across multiple ACs. So the first thing is uh, load balancer or elastic load balancer, right? So send traffic to instances across all the ACs where your application is deployed within a single region. Um, and it's important to remember that EOB does not span a region; it, it's only within a single region. Um, you can use things like Route 53 to, um, to, to get around that. I don't know if that's the right term, but um, you can have Route 53 to point to different load balancers within the region, and you can help make those decisions on whether the application is up or not. Um, lots of load balancer, you know, the, the newer one um, release, I think, thinking around reinvent or something. Application load balancer that that's generally layer seven, um, and then the classic load balancer is uh, layer four there. So application um, load balancer is, is much newer. Um, I doubt you'll see that on the test as of right now. The tests generally lag behind the feature sets. Um, auto scaling, right, we touched on that earlier before, but uh, like I said, it's, the definition of that is really elasticity in my mind. It, it allows you to, to scale and um, your application, you know, across multi-AZs. Um, you know, and then it's continue to grow as the main grows, right? So, like I said, scale up and down based upon demand. Um, and I thought this was important while maintaining minimal application requirements. So, if your goal was to span, you know, two AD, um, and you had a, a minimum requirement of two servers, right? You're going to make sure that you, um, as you're setting up auto scaling. You're going to configure that to say, you know, my minimum is always going to be two, and it's going to try to keep those between, um, you know, and distinct uh, AZs for you. But as you scale up, um, you, know, you can have a max number, right? You can go up to X amount, but as you scale up, right, it's going to try to um, load balance those across AZs, and then as you scale down, right, it's going to go down to back down to your minimum application requirement. So it's going to go back down to two. So you're always going to maintain, um, you know, that HA. Uh, pair with, between AZs at a minimum, and then uh, you know EC2 volumes, right? So EBS, um, EBS is replicated across volumes. And remember, that's within a single availability zone. So there's no cross-regional replication there. Um, so just something to remember. And then one thing I thought was important to point out: instant storage is ephemeral storage. So um, that is storage that is local to the host where the instance is running. Um, it's not replicated, and as soon as you shut down that instance, right, that data is gone. So I'd say use with caution. Um, there are um, there are workloads that you know can take advantage of ephemeral storage, right? Because because it's local, it's much faster, um, but you can't rely on that data to be there. If the instance dies or something like that, um, that data is gone. So you need to be able to Move that data off to something like S3 or or another um, you know EBS volume. That's kind of S3 or S3. Sorry, EC2. Let's talk about S3 now. 
Um, so from an HA standpoint, S3 has a 11 nines of durability, right? So kind of put that in perspective, you store 10,000 objects, you can expect to incur the loss of a single object once every 10 million years. So um, that's, that's pretty good for me. Uh, <laughs> I don't plan on lasting that long, but it's uh, pretty good durability there from uh, from my standpoint. And then, you know, you just remember that um, S3 stores data across facilities, meaning AZ within the region. Um, Availability, as is HA in a conversation, um, only four nines of availability. Uh, S3 is regional, so you can't choose AZ. So, um, you know, I, I thought it was kind of funny when S3 had its outage in February and everyone was complaining that websites weren't multi AZ. Um, so, you know, just remember S3 is regional. Um, you can't say I want an AZ1, I want an AZ2. Um, in order to accomplish uh, high redundancy, right, you want to use cross-regional replication. So uh, generally, we don't have an outage like S3, which that was that was a result of a human error, right? They were pulling, trying to pull out some servers for maintenance, and he actually pulled out a lot of servers for maintenance. Um, so if you you know if you, your application you're trying to architect cross, you know, to be able to support cross-region, um, you want to make sure that if you're using S3, you enable um, cross-region replication to your data there. And then Glacier. Um, Glacier is also regional, right? Same thing, you can't choose AZ. Um, so for redundancy, you want to copy data to vaults in multiple regions for redundancy. Um, and I did kind of look to see if it was possible with lifecycle rules on S3, and I didn't see a way that you create a life cycle rule to say, you know, my data in Northern Virginia, you know, as it gets, you know, X amount of days old, then also, you know, move it to Glacier in, you know, Oregon or something like that. And you could probably do that with, um, you know, obviously with Lambda or, um, you know, other services, but um, by default, the, the services themselves can't, um, can't provide those, those uh, features. Um, looks like my, uh, Animation there's messed up, but anyway, um, networking. Right, we kind of touch on this. Elastic IPs. Uh, those are public IPs that support remapping to mask failures. Right, so if you have an application, um, say it's um, I don't know, it's not you know term cloud ready. It, it could be um, you know legacy app that that can't be uh, load balanced. Um, you can map a pub an Elastic IP address to it. And then you can have a secondary server ready to roll if that dies, and then you can quickly remap that elastic IP to the the other host, and uh, you don't have to worry about DNS and stuff like that. So you can get the same public IP pointing to a surviving host. You kind of mask failure like that. Um, Route 53 records mentioned before. So there's you know a ton of routing policies to support HA failover. Um, you know, there's a simple traditional A record, which, you know, we all use on a day-to-day -day basis, right? So you can always, you know, if you want to manually, um, you know, change the record to point to a different IP, or you can, um, you know, do that in API, something like that, if, if there's a failure. Um, there's weighted, right? so move a percentage of traffic to one region or another. 
Um, you know, many folks use this as testing, right, or kind of blue-green scenarios where um, you know you get two two environments of your application, and you want to move you know a certain percentage of those users over to um, the new environment to test features to um, you know, make sure that uh, everything's working right, and then you can, you know, eventually move 100% of the traffic there, or move it all back. You know, whatever, whatever you need. And then there's the failover. So those are typically A records, but you, what you do is you create a primary and secondary A record. And a lot of times, those will be tied directly to an ELB. And then what you can do is have the ELBs, Elastic Load Balancers, do their own health checking on the servers that they're supporting. Right. So port 80 open is there you know their keywords on on the page that you want to um, ensure that the you know it's working correctly so the primary can continue to point to an ELB granted the ELB is reporting back it has healthy um, instances behind it and backing the application as soon as all those um, nodes go down you know whether that's on purpose you want to you know purposely fail over or um, there's just you know say a problem in northern Virginia or something like that um, then, then Route 53 starts um, sending to folks to the, the secondary IP address. Um, granted, that EOB is reporting healthy nodes behind it. So, um, you know, there's there's a way you know you do uh, HA using multiple VPNs or multiple direct connects. Uh, you know, when when we when I ran this with a customer, we had a point where we were just doing VPN, but we had you know VPNs from our data center in Indiana, and we have VPNs from our data center in Texas. Of course, our two facilities in Indiana, Texas, um, had a WAN, you know, between them as well. So, if there was a failure on one side, we could traverse the WAN and still get to Amazon and access uh, our resources from, you know, using the private IP. So, you can definitely architect uh, your infrastructure that way. Uh, then Internet Gateway, been sitting there for a while, right? So Internet Gateway is how you enable Internet access from your VPC. The one thing you've got to remember is there's only one per VPC. You, you cannot add multiple Internet Gateways to a VPC. The cool thing is it's kind of automatically scaled for you, right? So it's horizontally scaled, um, you know, as the demand increases, and it's both redundant and high availability, high availability um, for uh, or from an Amazon perspective, they kind of take care of that for you. Um, that gateway, kind of the last piece on here, right? So that gateway, um, a lot better using that gateway, or it used to be you have to use the NAT instance, right? And spin up like a Linux um, Ami and then have it NAT for you. What's kind of sucked about that is you had to pay for the instance too. So now you can have that gateway, they kind of manage that the, the OS piece for you. Um, but a net gateway is typically tied to a single subnet, right? And a single subnet, of course, like we talked about, is within an AZ. So what you want to do is ensure that you have multiple net gateways, and then if a single AZ goes down, you can dynamically change your route to an either surviving gateway or a new gateway that you spin up um, to ensure that uh, you know outbound traffic continues to flow. So we have two more slides, so it just won't be too long tonight. Um, RDS. So RDS um, for me was, I feel it was pretty important to know, especially for the sysops um, admin tests. Right. So there's a lot of stuff in here. 
Um, RDS is one of those services that does provide multi-AZ deployment, um, and we'll, we'll see in a minute, it also provides some cross-regional um, functionality as well. So uh, multi-AZ deployments for MySQL, MariaDB, Oracle, and Postgres utilize synchronous physical replication. Right, so that's important to know. Um, Multi-AZ deployments for SQL will use logical replication, so actually use SQL mirroring to accomplish that. And generally what you're going to do is as you're deploying an RDS instance, you're going to choose the initial um, subnet, or the, I'm sorry, the AZ that's going to go in, and all you basically have to do is say, yes, I want this to be a multi-AZ, and it'll automatically put it in a second AZ for you. Um, and then if it, there's a failover, right, it'll try to spin up a secondary for you if, if your secondary becomes your primary because of an outage. Um, Aurora, kind of cool, replicates your volume six different ways across three different availability zones. So, kind of crazy, um, you know, very high availability <laughs> uh, built, into, uh, built into Aurora there. So, this is kind of some, some of the more important stuff, I think, from a, from a test perspective. Um, MySQL, MariaDB, and Postgres um, do allow the deployment of read replicas, and those are async. Um, those can be in the same region, or they can be so in another AZ, or they can actually be cross-region. Um, Postgres SQL is going to be physical replication, the other two are logical replication. Um, one thing important here that as you deploy read replicas, you've got to refactor your application to take advantage of the replicas. Um, the read replicas are going to get their own DNS name, and what you have to do is, you know, again, refactor your app to take advantage of those read replicas. So, um, you know, if you have a business, you know, some kind of reporting tool, um, you don't want to point that to your primary database, right? Create a read replica and then have it point to the read replica um, because, you know, obviously a reporting tool is not going to be writing. It's going to be reading all the data. So something you can do there. Uh, you can have up to five read replicas per source database instance, so that's important to know too. And then from a read replica perspective, you can promote one to its own standard database um, if you need to. So if you need to do testing or you know, something happens, um, you can break that replication and create um, you know, another database from a read replica. Uh, maintenance activities, this is important to know as well. Um, backups are taken from the standby node, so it eliminates IL suspension to the primary node. Um, you may get a little uh, more latency uh, as the backup happens, but you don't get the IO is not suspended on the primary. And then during um, OS patching or DB instance scaling, right, they're applied to the standby first, and then the database fails over to the standby, and then the which becomes the new primary, and then the secondary is upgraded as well. So um, DB instance scaling means you went in there and said, I don't need this to be a, a T2 micro anymore. I need a T2 large now. Um, so as it, it scales for you, uh, it'll, it'll apply to standby first. So you, you will have an outage, and your outage will last just as long um, as it takes to fail over from the primary to secondary node. So something to consider there. And then, really, the last last piece um, I wanted to touch on is the uh, high availability versus cost, right? So, 
generally high availability equates to extra cost. Um, you know, depending on what you're deploying or where, you know, you're going to have double the storage, right? If you need to um, enable cross-site replication for an S3 bucket, you're going to have to pay for that data in Northern Virginia and Northern California, you know, if that's where you, you replicate it to. Um, double the instances, right? If you're going to load balance, you're typically going to have to pay for more than a single um, instance across different AZs. There are costs associated with the EOBs, um, costs associated with um, extra, I put extra in there, um, EIPs. So when an instance is spun up, you do not have to pay for an EIP, but if you have an EIP that's tied to either an instance that is not running or an EIP that's not associated with an instance, Amazon will charge you for that. So it's something to be aware of. Um, you know, determine the use case for application business requirements. You know, not everything uh, has to be highly redundant and, and highly available. Uh, so there's, you know, there's a fine balance between cost and high availability. And you know, depending on the business requirements, you know, they may be okay with a lower SLA um, to save on cost. So it, again, it really it's a case by case basis, and um, it's it's really all about the business requirements there. Uh, this I always thought was important. Uh, test UAT QA environments should look like production. And the cool thing is in Amazon, it's super easy to do. Um, you can even have different, you know, accounts separately for dev and test, so they can affect production. Um, I always thought that was important. You know, people post testing on, you know, infrastructure that was not like production and roll code into production. It doesn't, it doesn't um, either deploy right or act right. And kind of scratching the head trying to figure out why, you know, because the, the test environment, you know, doesn't mimic the production environment, right? So, you know, as you mimic those environments like for like, it gives us opportunity to test HA situations without affecting production. Um, you know, for me personally, when I was on a customer, you know, we had a, a large web farm and uh, we had, you know, multiple load balancers using VRP, you know, for redundancy, but then on the development side, we only had a single uh, load balancer, and, you know, I didn't like that because I couldn't test, you know, failover, I couldn't test, um, you know, a lot of functionality um, with that, so, you know, we didn't have a like-for-like -like environment, so, um, you know, kind of went up the stack there and made sure that everything was uh, was corrected. And then, um, you know, as you have like-for-like -like environments, you kind of see how the application reacts and performs, you know, in, in, in the environment. And again, Last thing we want to do is is have our test environment running on T2 micros, and then um, or or something larger. And then when you're going to deployment, you know, put it on a different type of instance, and you know, just it may not react or perform the same way as it did in test. And then lastly, you know, mostly around costs, right? Use things like CloudFormation Terraform tools for cost saving. So, um, so using tools like that, you know, you can rapidly spin up test and spin down um, environments, you know, very quickly. Uh, so you don't have to worry about, you know, instances running all night, um, instances running all day, whatever. You know, use what you need to get rid of it when you're done. Um, and then things like we do, actually here ahead, we use Lambda to stop instances after hours or when they're idle so we don't have to pay for those, right? So if, you know, your development staff, you know, 6 o'clock every day, they're out the door, right? So 6.30, 6.00. 15, something like that, you know, you can have a Lambda function to go and 
and stop all the development instances so you don't have to pay for those um, overnight. So there's a couple things to uh, think about for cost savings. So that's really it. That was, um, I said, HA is, there, there's quite a few things to know, especially around the RDS, I think it's important, but um, you know, kind of some just tidbits here and there that you'll have to know for the test. Wow, Brian, that was a lot of information in such a short time. Great presentation. It was, yeah. Thanks very much. Awesome. Let me, let me yeah, ask uh, our attendees if they've got any questions here at the end of the presentation. Okay. There, there were some questions throughout the presentation, but you answered them as you went. So uh, let me just give them another minute or so. Well, I guess uh, I guess that's how thorough you were. You answered all their questions. Awesome! That's always a good sign. <laughs> it, it was a great presentation. Thanks again, Brian. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Well, we'll be looking for you again. Yep, definitely. Yeah, I'll be looking forward to it. <laughs> all right. Thanks again, and have a good evening, everyone. Thanks you too, Chris.